Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. (laughs) All right, we are live this time. My guest, the beautiful Cassie Underwood, is back, but she's here for a bonus podcast because I had this brilliant idea that is now officially launched and two bonuses in. Now we get Cassie, um, where I just thought there's so many beautiful things or wise things or beautiful and wise or all the things, right, written on the internet, but then they disappear, So why not bring some of them back to life through podcasting? And then you get to listen to the author read her own, I haven't had a his yet, but her own work. So um, read their own work. There you go. (laughs) Um, So today, Cassie, we are recording together and we'll just let her read an article she wrote for, but I want to ask you a question first. Um, She wrote for the... Da, 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 New York Times. No, actually, did you write it for the Times or was it picked up? I forget. Oh, I wrote it for the Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of have to write for the Times. You don't just like accidentally write for the Times. Yeah, I was like, I will get this into the Times. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, um, because you're here and you're recording this live with me, like, what was that dream for you? I mean, a lot of us have New York Times dreams, so many of us can answer that question ourselves, but what was that dream for you? Why, why was it so important for you to get this? Cause this was before your book. Yes. So why was it so important for you to get this published in the times? Well, so I was in graduate school at Columbia in the writing program at the time. And I felt like a major failure as a writer because mm-hmm. I was seeing all my friends get published and you know, small literary journals that were rejecting my abortion stories. Mm. And um, so I wanted to get published in the New York Times. I always like to go for like the biggest and best things. So why, why not? Right. And these liter- these, these small literary journals, I didn't even really care about getting published in them. I just wanted, to, you know, a little ego boost, but the yeah. Times was like the New York Times. And so I had actually submitted another story to them. Mm-hmm. Um, a year earlier and to the same column, which is the modern love column. And it was rejected. And I was like, I I was absolutely heartbroken and devastated. Mm -hmm. I cried and cried, but Dan Jones. Did you publish it somewhere else or did it just disappear? It, it just went into the big graveyard in the sky, big bookstore in the sky. And, um, and so I like was so sad. And, um, but what I found out was that Dan Jones, who's the editor of this can tell whether you're telling your story, like your like real story, like the story of your life kind of thing. And so um, I was in another class in Columbia and one of my professors, Kelly McMaster, who's an amazing writer, she said, um, she picked out this, this like little section of a chapter of the book. And she said, this is a New York Times modern love. You should, you should write a modern love based on this little section. And it was this story I'm about to share. Um, And I was so scared 
to share this, but I just, I, I did. And I worked on it really hard. I wrote like 12 drafts of it. So like literally from scratch over the course of three months. Yeah. Yeah. And what came for you after this got published? So much. So what Jones, <laughs> the editor of this column says is that he feels like he has kind of the hand of God where he can take somebody from being an unknown to yeah. really putting them everywhere. So I got you know, an agent, a book deal a few years later. Um, I went on a national speaking tour. I mean, it was, once you're published in the New York Times Modern Love Poem, it really does change your life. So I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. But I will say, again, 12 drafts and two tries over the oh, course yeah. of like a year and a half. Yeah, I love it. So beautiful. So those are um, longer than typical introduction to today's <laughs> bonus podcast. So thank you for Cassie. Thank you to you, Cassie, for being here. I'm just going to let you read and then we're going to hit end and go about our beautiful days and let all the listeners listen. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This is called A Lost Child But Not Mine. On the third anniversary of my abortion, I found out via MySpace that my ex-boyfriend was having a baby with another woman. It was none of my business, except I somehow convinced myself that his new baby was a replica of ours. And as such, I felt a sense of ownership, of responsibility for the child's well-being. My college roommate in Vermont had introduced us. He was road weary that first night, having having just driven up from a concert in Kentucky, my home state. He was 20, a ski lift operator, a community college student. I was a blonde, Episcopal-bred 19-year-old studying literature and costume design. Early on, he told me he was on probation for drug-related offenses, which was forcing him to remain clean and sober. It was easy for me to accept his blemished past because I had my own struggles with drugs and alcohol, making me feel like Nancy to his Sid. He and I talked textbooks and compared rap sheets. In his ramshackle apartment, we belted out Bob Dylan songs as he twirled me across the sloping floorboards. He gave me piggyback rides at my dormitory steps and carted me around town on the handlebars of a bicycle. Two months after we met, his probation ended. Without supervision, he began crushing up Oxycontin and sucking the powder into his nose through a rolled up dollar bill. On St. Patrick's Day, I stayed after a theater class sewing a corset. Clad in a threadbare flannel shirt, he stopped in to help me clip the bones. I hope nobody could see the dope in his pinned eyes or the pregnancy in mine. My period was two weeks late. If it hasn't come by April, we'll take a test, he whispered. Several weeks later, after a university doctor delivered the news, he and I lay side by side on his bare twin mattress. I'm not ready to be a father, he said. I nodded, planting my head on his chest. I stared at the water-stained ceiling and prayed he was for a lucrative job instead of more Oxycontin. I let myself imagine that I could clean up my own act and finish school and we could hire an au pair and everything would be fine, but I knew it wouldn't happen that way. I had promised myself not to tell my parents, but when I called my mother in Kentucky, I burst into tears as soon as she answered the phone. In the background, my father said, she's pregnant, isn't she? It had been our collective worst nightmare. Come on home, my mother sobbed. We'll rear the child here. I told her I just couldn't. The truth is, I had ambitions. While I adored children and romanticized the idea of one day raising a small brood dressed in elaborate get-ups of my own design, I wanted a family on my own terms. 
happily married with enough money to live well. After college, after graduate school, after I had started a career, there was no fantasy in raising a child alone. In deciding against adoption, I blamed alcohol, the chance that I had already harmed the baby with my drinking. But my ambivalence remained, and when I quit drinking, again thinking of the baby, my boyfriend was lucid enough to notice. We lay entwined on his secondhand couch one night when he muted the TV. You want to have this baby, don't you, he said. We could call her Jade, I said. All 11 of my grandmother's siblings had names starting with J. Mick Jagger had a baby named Jade. Naming her Jade would be a no-brainer. Jade's pretty, he said. But we just can't go through with it, I reassured him, reminding myself that we didn't have the emotional equipment. It's better this way. In late April, heading to the clinic, he slept in the passenger seat as I fiddled with the radio. Most offices do not allow partners in the room during the procedure, but when I pressed my feet to the stirrups, he was there to knead my shoulders. I dug my fingernails into the nurse's hand. He and I watched each other instead of the ultrasound machine. I'm hot, I said. I'm blacking out. Please take off my socks. You've got to breathe, honey, the nurse said. Take off her socks, he hollered. His support and innate, if untraditional, sense of duty almost made me think twice about ending the pregnancy. I thought he might have been a nurturing father after all. I emerged from the appointment emotionally unscathed, or so I thought. The five-minute procedure had ended my insufferable melange of nausea, exhaustion, and shame. I briefly saw a therapist, troubled that I did not feel guilty. Soon I started drinking again, was arrested for drunken driving, and was fired from three jobs for coming in slurring my words or showing up late or not at all, while my boyfriend eventually disappeared into heroin. I waited for the countless rehabs to work their institutional magic on him, but they didn't. Our relationship ended on good but sorrowful terms. Not long after we broke up, he met a girl at a music festival, and a couple of years later, she gave birth to their child, whom they named Jade, of all things. They managed to stay together during his stints in jail. But now I was following them on Facebook, where they had migrated like just about everybody else. Meanwhile, I went into treatment, quit drinking, and moved to Austin, Texas for a job. With sobriety and a salary, I couldn't stop thinking about the baby that wasn't, a loss somehow made more painful by his baby that was. I spent my work days browsing photos of his little girl, believing in some twisted respect that I was glimpsing the face of the child I could have had. On lunch breaks, I went home to cry in bed, longing for a paranormal miracle. By the time I called him, his daughter was about to celebrate her first birthday. I was living, he was living at a halfway house in Boston where my company was flying me for a conference. I harbored a secret motive to find out if he dwelled on the loss as much as I did, so I asked him if he would meet me. I figured I would ball in his track mark scarred arms. We would plant a tree in remembrance. Then we would raise his, our, child in my studio apartment. He came ambling up to the corner on Newbury Street. I waited in a business suit, disappointed that he was not pushing a stroller. Gone was his shaggy brown hair, mischievous smile, and weather-worn Grateful Dead jacket. He had turned hip-hop from his puffy white Adidas to his crooked white cap. His teeth had browned from the drugs. We sat down for cappuccinos in a fancy cafe where we could afford nothing else. He told me that his ex-girlfriend had recently drained his meager bank account and vanished, leaving her infant behind. 
He confessed that paramedics had recently resuscitated him after he overdosed in a restaurant bathroom. Rehab followed. Now he scrimped by on construction work. He aspired to save for a deposit on a roomy apartment for him and his child who was living with his parents. I felt an urge to run to his parents' home and cradle his baby in my arms as if she were the responsibility I had shirked. I think a lot about what happened, he said. Me too. He stared ruefully into his, his steaming mug. But I continued, if I had had that baby, you wouldn't have Jade. Could her name be a coincidence? Maybe when they picked her name, he didn't realize he was remembering. Oh yeah, he said, flashing a relieved smile. Something was lost and he got to keep it. I drew my lips to match his cheery expression, even though I felt shorted. I had graduated with honors, seen the first book I edited published with my name in microscopic print and been accepted to an Ivy League graduate program. I kept trying to secure the next accomplishment that would make my decision worthwhile. Meanwhile, he got Jade, yet he couldn't take care of her. An overdosing jailbird father stared back at me, buttering crackers with a silver coffee spoon. The heat of the summer hung down on our shoulders when we hugged on the bustling street corner. As we parted, I walked up Gloucester Street toward the conference center. He headed toward the pickup truck he borrowed from a friend at the halfway house. In the three years since, he has spent much of his time incarcerated for drug-related offenses. I wish I could share my sobriety, my degree, and my career to rent that apartment for his little girl, but reality has finally sunk in. The abortion is mine alone, just like Jade is his. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So you wrote that in 2011 now. Yeah, it's been almost 10 years. What did you feel like since you're here? Yeah. What do you feel when you read it? I think, damn, that was really something to go through. Mm -hmm. That's really what I was feeling. Um, and it's interesting. So I actually am raising a child alone <laughs> now. And it was, there was that line, there's no fantasy in raising a child alone. Mm. Uh, and so it's just interesting how life unfolds and you just never really know. I never thought I would have an abortion. I never thought that I would be a divorced single mom, you mm. know, and you just, and when you're in it, you're just, it doesn't even feel like when I was in these things, it was my life. So it was normalized, you know, um, but looking back, that just seems like so much for a young woman to go through. And it was me, you know, yeah. but we get through it. Yeah. 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 Interesting compassion from, you know, from you now to you then when yeah. you go back like that. Yeah. It does make me feel, you know, some emotions as I'm reading it. Yeah. Um, you know, to go back to that place. And I'm glad I feel, I feel grateful to be a writer because I can kind of reaccess these times in my life that would have been, mm -hmm. I think, forgotten because I don't think about this at all. Right. Basis. I literally never think about this and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and he's still in jail. Yeah. Something else now, you know, and his daughter's mm -hmm. grown up mm -hmm. and I'm in touch with his parents and, um, yeah. Now it's interesting. The interesting um, perspective on your current strength, right? And it's easy to forget that part of the strength you have now comes from that, right? From from those experiences. Oh, absolutely. Like these yeah. these experiences, and not just from going through them, but from diving into them and and making 
sense of them and learning from them. And, you know, I was in a deep depression and a deep state of anxiety and really reshaping every element of my life, every part of how I lived so that I could walk out of that anxiety and depression state. I mean, it really did require all that. And I don't think I would have gone that deep without having an abortion. And then, the, and then this high without having an abortion, because I literally had to reconfigure what I ate, how I thought, right. who I spent my time with, everything about my life to change. Yeah. And you get to be the mother you are now because of what you've been through. Absolutely. I'm a much better mother for having had an abortion and not just for having had an abortion, but from having grown through that experience. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. This together. <laughs> I love talking to you. I love it when we, I mean, we should just make this like a regular thing. Right? <laughs> so What's fun. next with Cassie? <laughs> <laughs> again. Uh-oh. <laughs> I love it. So good. Yeah. Really good to see you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Um, is it raining there? I, oh, it's beautiful and sunny out. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. I thought the whole East coast was getting the rains, but maybe not. <laughs> oh, I'm going to bask in the sunlight under my window. Go, and do some work. It. Go enjoy it. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, girl. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.